Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're going to be reading chapter 16 of Half-Blood Prince. So grab a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage and join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey. It's been so, so long, long since we did a actually one. did that. Like, I was like, I want to do it perfectly because we haven't done it in so long. And I was like, I can't even remember it because no, because we've, we've not had, done it. We've had guest episodes, leaky cod, and we've we kept skipped forgetting. it three times. We've had one in a different language. I don't think we've done that in about eight episodes. <laughs> I was just like, what do we say? <laughs> oh my god, what is it? Uh, the panic. Uh, hi, hi. Hi. How are you? I mean, it's been like half a week since we recorded. It has, and you'd think based on my life updates i'd be in a better place but i am such an anxious mess this weekend i am all over the shop i have had butterflies that have not gone all weekend but you have amazing news i don't know if you want to share it yet i kind of hinted at it in the last episode you haven't listened to it yet um, well i i tried i tried i sent you the wrong file <laughs> literally it was so funny i started proof listening to it last night and thank god for once i was doing it relatively early for me and i mean i say relatively early like 24 hours after you uploaded it but i started listening to it and at first i was a bit like oh that like the first few seconds I was like that seems a bit rough like there was kind of just like a a half a second of like you saying something before we like started and I was like oh like maybe you know it's fine it was literally like half a second I somehow didn't clock that there was no intro I don't know I was like I was like painting because I'm trying to teach myself how to paint so I just didn't clock it and then it got to Hannah saying something like really like that she literally said oh like I'll edit this out oh no I said something and you were like I'll edit that out and I was like oh she must have you know a couple of times it's happened before you've like you know accidentally not actually deleted it I was like that's fine and then the more I listened I was just like something's really wrong this is not edited I just said the raw file (laughs) I've done four hours of editing and done it live on Instagram as well. I'd been like, follow along while I edit yeah. on Instagram and then send Charlie the raw file. And it's it's so funny as well because you said you wondered why it took so long to upload. Yeah, it said half an hour. And I was like, that's a bit strange. Maybe yeah. I hope my internet's and it bad. Took ages for me to download it, but neither of us were like, hmm, maybe this file is a bit large because it's the raw file. Yeah, so no, I haven't listened to what you've left in. Oh, I basically, I, I will, I left it in as a, like a tiny hint voice note, but this, by the time this episode comes out, I can edit it out if something terrible happens. <laughs> I am starting a new job in January. Yeah. Um, I am leaving the company I was at. I think now during the span of this podcast, because we started it two weeks before the end of my internship, this will be my fifth job Wow. whilst running this podcast, which is insane. That is. I am a bit flighty in my career. No, you're not. <laughs> no, but it's only because, yeah, we started it with two weeks after my internship. Yeah, yeah and it's like more relevant slightly to it the podcast. It is slightly more relevant, yes. <laughs> I'll be managing the social and digital things for literary clients, some of whom also run podcasts. Yeah. Which is very exciting. So I talked about the podcast a lot in my interview. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> it's so funny that like this chaotic drunken hobby that we kind of started on a whim 
probably really helped you get that job yeah and and then yeah the woman who was doing the main bit of interviewing was like yeah you know your cv stood out because of the podcast i was like yeah <laughs> great don't listen that. to it before i get hired <laughs> do not listen to it <laughs> literally i mean i could tell that you were gonna get it not that i wanted to say that but literally when you were like oh yeah because you know we were like talking about the podcast and they had to be like oh let's get back on track and then we were talking about notion which is the piece of software that like we organize a podcast with and then they were like oh we have to you know stop talking about software and go back on track i'm like that shit doesn't happen in job interviews where you don't get the job yeah (laughs) the hardest part of the whole thing was when i got the job the lady phoned me and she was like so how did the interview go for you and i was like would you ask that if you're about to say i didn't get the job can you imagine if i'm like i think it went really well then she's like great well i'm sorry to tell you you didn't get it like also fucking savage they never ring if it's a rejection as well but could you imagine if they literally did that and they were like oh like how did it go for you and you were like yeah good vibes and they were like yeah, we hate well, you too <laughs> we thought it was rancid vibes we fucking hate you yeah. uh fuck off fuck off <laughs> so yeah i'm very anxious while we're recording today because i haven't handed in my notice yet and doing that gives me huge anxiety even though i have now done it multiple times <laughs> yeah literally i mean i've only actually resigned from a job once that's impressive which is insane but it was like so stressful because i thought it was going to be really obvious because i thought it was so obvious that i was unhappy like literally the day before my manager had been like oh like you don't seem like yourself like she called me into a room and was like you don't seem like yourself like what's going on and at this point i was waiting for the hr email to confirm like i knew that i'd gotten the job but i was yeah. waiting for the email and i literally she had to be like nothing. nothing and then like i was like this is so obvious i was like oh can i speak to you and like pulled her into a room and like started talking about like you know as you know like i really want to work for a smaller company blah 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 <laughs> i thought it was so obvious and she was like smiling and nodding along i was like she <laughs> doesn't know she doesn't get where this is going oh, no. somehow and then i was like yeah so um i'm handing in my notice and she looked so shocked and i was like how didn't you get this yeah how did you get this? You know I've been fucking miserable. Like, where did you think this conversation was going? Do you have any updates since we recorded three days ago? No, not really. I mean, like, overall, like, I'm doing mentally a lot better, which is good. You know, gotta love antidepressants. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's like, I don't think I realised until I started to get better how bad I was. Like, I knew that probably since, like, late 2019, I'd mm. been, like, not great. Not good. But, like... And, like, increasingly so. Mm. But definitely, like, the past year, I was, like, fucking awful. And I don't... Like, I knew I wasn't good, but I don't think I realised. And now that I'm starting to get better, and I'm, like, actually being like, oh, my God, I want to do my creative hobbies. Like, I'm, you know, really excited to do, like, crafting bits. And, you know, teaching myself to paint. And I'm writing. And, like, I feel like I have a lot more energy for, like, my nine-to-five job and more energy for the podcast and stuff like that. And it's, like, those things that I'm, like oh yeah that was lacking before like i can't think of the last time that i did any of my creative hobbies Mm. like so i'm like it's nice now it's like yeah i knew before that i just wasn't happy yeah but depression is so much more than that yeah you know it's the fatigue it's the lack of creative inspiration like i'm still really all that from you yeah and i'm still really struggling with fatigue that's definitely the thing that's like clinging on the most but like I feel like so much more motivated and creative and I'm just like wow antidepressants work Woo! Woo! this is anyone listening that is scared to go on them debating going on them procrastinating going on them just do it just, just do it do it you know sometimes it can you know take a while to find the ones that work for you and the dose that works for you but it's 
so worth it yeah it, yeah just a psa i like to be open about these things because i think it's an important conversation i think but it is as well yeah no like i'm doing a lot better which is good Proud hopefully long may it continue yeah hopefully no one else tries to spike me hopefully not <laughs> i might at some point just for the band just for the yeah 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 just for the band yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm proud of you thank i need a wee now <laughs> i really wish that was recorded hannah just walked in the room and she was like wow i was really storing that up i just pissed so much like a horse <laughs> i have such beautiful turns of phrases that's what got me this new job <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, let's welcome some new patrons to the podcast. So, a... Oh, a Men in Black size thank you to MB. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Angel from Buffy size thank you to Angela. Is it offensive to say Sergey from Compare the Nick? <laughs> I mean, depending where they're from, that, that reference might go over their head, but... A, a Sergey from Compare the Meerkat. If thank you're you unsure... Sergey. you're unsure about that reference, um, Google it. YouTube it, yeah. yeah. Just YouTube, compare the meerkat. A killer whale size thank you to Clara, who is a new producer level patron. Yes, thank you all so much for joining. I don't have much else to say. <laughs> Deep and light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, this review is from Noli Showboat. Uh, this, pod is, this pod has kept me laughing through the dark times. At first, I just listened to the pod but now i try to listen to the book first for each chapter hannah and charlie give me a new perspective on so many things both regarding the books and everything else would love to sit on their sofa and listen we would love that too imagine just every time we recorded there were like three like listeners just right there no or all of them all of the thousands of them on this fold out sofa yes creepy yeah charlie what are we drinking today oh well we're drinking two things so I demanded that we drink something nice because it feels I like I will it's... laugh so much if these are shit. Oh, it will be hilarious. Yeah, uh, it's been so long since we've actually drunk something nice yeah. and I was just fuming she about it. She felt like I had a little tanny about it the other day. I did because I know that we've got some nasty Patreon ones coming up. Oh, we've got the nastiest. Yeah, which luckily we haven't been able to source yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, I just want to do something nice. And a couple of months ago now, we went, um, stayed at my parents parents yes, in Suffolk which was a lovely weekend I was thinking about that the other day it was, it was like, a lovely weekend that was so nice we went on this uh weekend away to my parents and we went to one of these like fancy like middle class countryside like expensive foodie shops the kind of place where they charge you like four pounds for a bag of crisps yes and I fucking love them yep. <laughs> I just love going to that kind of shop because I'm like I I really wish I was the kind of person that could just afford to do my like food shop there like oh my god it would come to so much but you see people doing it that's just where you know they don't pop down to asda no they go to one of those places and they go to the cheese counter and get the fresh cheeses and the meat yeah. counter and then the bakery it is life goals yeah. it is like i just i love food so much and being able to have but no 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 when i go to those places i will buy one really random thing because i just want to be the person i that- bought the lowest grammage of cheese i could so yeah. we could eat it later i was like i'll have that cheese and he was like 250 grams 300 grams i was like 100 grams of cheese yeah. please my man yeah. Uh, but yeah like i like just buying like one thing uh, as a treat as so a that i can treat. fool myself that i'm the kind of person that can afford to just shop at those places yep. so that's essentially what we did for the podcast yes because they had loads of really interesting kinds of booze but these we have two different ones so they're by Fe- fis <laughs> fisting fisting pheasants fiselia it's basically is f-i-s-s-e-l-i-e-r 
way Fiselia? too many... Like, I'm not sure. It, it looks... It's fancy. It's fancy. These I think are... it's made in Britain. So we have two. So I think... Are we going to start with the biscuit one? Let's start with the biscuit one. So they're essentially... They're like creamy liquors. So one of them's biscuit flavoured. Charlie one of... is lactose intolerant and has just drunk <laughs> a triple shot Starbucks with normal milk in. Yeah. So coffee fucks me up. You know, fucks everyone up. Let's be honest. Milk fucks you up. I made oh. her scones, which contained milk yeah i mean milks are not normally too bad when it's like baked into things it's more when it's like saucy you know like or just like liquid milk but yeah i I can do hard cheese fine butter fine because i don't have that much of it milk fucks me up and you've had a large starbucks coffee yeah and i didn't swap out the milk for once because it's it's one that I just like with the actual milk. It's their eggnog latte. If you've never had it, oh, it's fucking banging. It's one of the Christmas ones, obviously, and I love it. So it, it makes it worth it for me. Last night I had an Indian. And <laughs> now today I've had like a large, because I ordered mediums and they just like, I did it on the app and they just, I don't know, it went wrong or they did it wrong. I don't know. We've got large. We got large. They were huge. Um, So I've had like an entire one of them with dairy in and now I'm drinking dairy milk alcohol. Liqueurs. Shall we... Uh, for dinner just order like cheesy pasta I'm thinking mac and cheese cheese yeah. on cheese on cheese, cheese on, on cheese. cheese on cheese just so that I do actually shit, shit myself yeah. in front of Swish and Flick who we're recording with later yeah absolutely yeah I think uh, they'll really like that <laughs> but yeah anyway. anyway let's have the biscuit so these one these are like yeah they, they kind of they're like Baileys I feel like we've yeah. not tried them yet but yeah there's a biscuit flavoured one and then a pistache so pistachio <laughs> one, which I'm so excited about because I'm a slut for anything pistachio flavoured. Like I, I have love it. My coffee syrup that's pistachio flavoured, and I'm obsessed with it. Glug 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 glug. Cheers, cheers. Oh. oh, do you know what? We're reading a Christmas chapter as well, and that tastes like Christmas. It does. That is. It's like. Oh, that's good. It's like cookie flavoured Baileys. Baileys, yeah. That is beautiful. I actually had a Baileys last night and yeah, very similar. Oh. Chapter 16. A very frosty Christmas. No. We've timed this well. I wish this I was one we week later. So this episode is going to come out the first week of December. If it was one week later, it'd be our last episode before Christmas. Yeah. Doesn't this always happen? I swear we've done this before. We've had it. Not always, but yes, it's happened three times now. We've Wait, also that's weird. we've also had a first of September one lineup with the first of September. Very weirdly, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's been, it has been a bit weird the way it's lined up a lot of the time, considering yeah. each book is a different length and yeah, yeah. And we used to do two chapters at a time. So, Harry and Ron are at the Barrow. We've just flash forwards to like a few days before Christmas. I feel like we never really get those kind of time jumps. no i found it quite weird to have that kind of time jump it was quite good it was quite well written but i'm yeah. not used to it i mean technically it is only the next day no no i think maybe no, it it's is. the next day i swear it was a few days later no it is it's the next day so they basically just skipped out the travel which is good because it's enough. not needed but Fair yeah enough. it's the next day because originally i was going to be like oh it's weird that harry's only just telling ron about it but then later on in the chapter it clarifies that it is actually the next day i always assumed it was a few days later and they're having the same argument again like he's already explained it and they're having no, the same argument it says because it says how he didn't have the time to tell hermione, hermione. that evening and then the next day they got on the train fair and then enough. that he, it like references that that was earlier this morning uh, all right fair enough so yeah they're peeling 
sprouts at the sink in the burrow whilst Harry tells Ron about Snape and Malfoy. Cute little image of those two at the sink together. There's this, this whole chapter is full of some of the funniest dialogue in all the books. I was cackling out loud reading this chapter. It is one of the, I think because it's like Christmassy and JKR knew she didn't need to put too much plot in this chapter. She really focused on like good, funny dialogue. Yeah. So... Ron's like, sorry, what did you say that was? And Harry's like, an unbreakable oath, an unbreakable vow. Yeah, why? What happens if you break it? Well, you can't break it. No, I figured that out for myself, thanks. It's just very good. But Ron explains if you break it, you die, which is quite extreme, I guess. <laughs> it is. And it's in, like, well, it's not interesting. But the thing is, when you say unbreakable vow, it could really mean two things. It could mean you die if you break it. Or it could mean you physically, physically can't. Yeah, like, have you seen Ella Enchanted? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. like that. Like literally, oh, if anyone yeah. hasn't then seen watch it, it immediately. Oh my god, yes, love it. Um, so good. That and is it literally Enchanted as well? What's that other? Oh, one? Enchanted, the Disney one. The second one's coming out in like, the next few weeks. I can't wait. It, have I you seen the trailer? See. No, I haven't seen the trailer. <gasps> Remind, we'll watch it together <laughs> we'll watch later. It. I know. Honestly, I is it coming straight on Disney Plus or is it going into cinemas? I don't know. Okay, but I could not be more excited. Okay, I'm on such like a phase right now of just really getting back into like media that's like twist on fairy tales. Yeah, entirely like because of Akta has reawakened my teenage love of like as a teenager I was so incredibly into fairy tales and folklore and like my favorite book was like a twist on fairy tales stuff and now. Like, I'm watching the, like, Winx saga or whatever it's called, which is awful. I love it. It's so fucking bad. I love that kind of thing. atrocious. 10 out of 10 recommend. Like, it's so funny because it's clearly written by people in their, like, mid-30s attempting to do Gen Z slang. Like, I know I voice noted you about this, but for the benefit of the podcast, there was, like, one line in it, and this happens a lot, but they clearly, like, will say what they think is Gen Z slang, but they'll use it in completely the wrong context. So, like, there was one with, like, two guy best friends, and they were kind of, like, having a disagreement, and then one of them said to the other, you've always been a dick, but lately your dick game's been really strong. And I was like, that does not mean what you think it means and it's just littered of those kind of things yes so we were talking about the uh, what the unbreakable vow means anyway sorry that was such a tangent yeah um so yeah ron explains you die and he says fred george tried to get him to do one when he was five mr weasley luckily caught them and was the most angry they'd ever seen him and fred's left buttock has never been the same which okay (laughs) so many levels yeah (laughs) because a don't hit your children but this is written a long time ago when it wasn't quite different and it's set but even further back than that so this is when this was happening this was the 80s so like it's different (laughs) i mean it's not it's not but the perception yeah, yeah culturally it was different the actual like morality of doing it not good i do like these moments where you see mr weasley like having to be the discipliner because then he doesn't go and tell mrs weasley he's just i'm gonna deal with it myself yeah i can't remember it doesn't say what they were trying to get him to do no it doesn't no adjust how would it have worked isn't it really powerful magic like surely it wouldn't have worked yeah because they would have only been ron says he's five they would have been seven yeah i we talk about it a lot 
the twins are dicks i'm sorry <laughs> they're so horrible in this book i love them but like this is one of their many jokes we talk about their treatment of like dudley a lot yeah just not funny no. like a lot of their jokes really you're just like that's actually not funny dangerous toxic like and this is one of those ones it's like that's actually not funny no and like the thing is they were only seven so like actually they don't really have culpability for what they were doing but they're very intelligent seven-year-olds like yeah. they they clearly are but yeah like it's not 100 there but eight where did they learn it age seven is actually a question we should be asking yeah because to the point where they knew that they had to kneel down and hold hands and the incantation where the fuck did they learn that at age seven is the real question yeah here. i feel like i mean people you know you your child baby proof your apartments or like houses or whatever i'm just being really american saying apartment apartment (laughs) Apartment. so surely as wizards you should baby proof your house by not having magical books within reach of children yeah that say really really dangerous spells yeah we then get the absolutely brilliant line of harry going passing over fred's left buttock as fred and george walk into the room and go excuse me comedy gold you know what what kind of ship it fred's buttock and harry fred and harry i like it yep yeah yeah i can see it mm. i just love fred and george even though they're awful people yeah the they... thing is a lot of ron's motivations in this chapter are fred and george not finding out things or trying to impress fred and george like ron does have actually some of the most issues in his family with fred and george not with the others yeah and like yeah they're shitheads but i do love them yeah i do <laughs> so they enter and immediately start teasing ron about not being able to do magic because they're spe- peeling the sprouts by hand which is mean why is mrs weasley set them a task she can do <laughs> it's, it's funny but yeah i guess i mean i will always be on her side because i'm like by principle yeah by principle they should be doing help. this make the men help yeah like I, I always do everyone's head in whenever like i'm hosting anything i'm like and the men will clean up and then like a woman tries to help and i'm like stop, stop it down <laughs> like no matter like even when the men have helped cook i'm like the men clean up like because i'm just oh, just hate when men don't yeah i'm help. glad to see these two doing some housework but it is something that could be done with magic yeah. in about 30 seconds yeah i guess maybe it's for like the life lessons and stuff mm-hmm. um i'm i will always support it as well because like everyone has known that person that went to university clearly never having been made do anything and like literally can't like boil some pasta exactly. or switch on an oven yeah um and just doesn't take responsibility for it either teach these boys some good so as well as teasing them about the fact they could do it really quickly um they start teasing ron about lavender because they've got the information out of Ginny that ron is dating lavender yep (laughs) okay i'm gonna have to look up what i was referencing because i've written fred and george acting like they're on an episode of friday night dinner (laughs) let me look at what line that was in reference to i mean incredible Hold on, uh, because there was a line they said which I could hear the boys on Friday Night Dinner saying. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to have to look it up. I would love to see that as a skit now. Oh my God, yes. Like, Friday Night Dinner, but at the Weasleys' house. We always go on about like the British comedies that people should watch if you actually want to see what Britain is like, and we always quote The Inbetweeners and Gavin and Stacey, but Friday Night Dinner, Yeah, And Friday Night Dinner is actually really good for one of being one of the only pieces of media I've seen that represent British Jewish families. We get yeah. very few representations of that in this country, and it's written by a Jewish person. Oh, it was this. I can full on see the brothers in Friday Night Dinner doing this. Ron turned a little pink, but did not get displeased as he turned back to the sprouts. Mind your own business. 
what a snappy retort said fred <laughs> i really don't know how you think of them yes that, that is is exactly the dialogue on Friday night dinner. Yeah, I no, was it really is. Making me cackle. Um, they then decide to really wind one up and say, "What's wrong with lavender? Does she have a head injury?" <laughs> so offensive. But like, it's so brotherly. It's so good. It's this is like not that I have a brother, but like this is just classic sibling. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They're so mean to him. I know. So Ron throws a knife at them. <laughs> Look, we've all thrown knives at our sibling. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. I love how much lower the stakes are in Wizarding Family. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to throw a fucking knife at you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. I've finished my biscuit. Oh, I almost have. After we do pistache. Pistache. It's green. Ooh. Ooh, it's sweeter than I expected. I'm not entirely sure what I think of that. I like it. I, d- I don't hate it. It just tastes like pistachio flavoured Baileys. This is just fancy Baileys. I think it's stronger than I expected. Well, this is going to taste stronger because most of the ice is gone. You know, sometimes when the, this yeah. kind of liquor is warm, it tastes stronger. It's nice though. So after the knife throwing incident, <laughs> we learned that Remus is staying for Christmas, which one of my favourite things about Mrs. Weezy and the Weezys in general is this attitude they have, which is one of my favourite attitudes to have and something I hope as I get older, I like it's something I really want to bring into my life of anyone is welcome and anyone will stay with us. And if you're staying for Christmas, you are a member of the family. Like... Like, my yeah. mum always said to me, like, oh, we have an open house at Christmas because, like, the na- when she found out, like, our neighbours were spending it alone, she was like, no, 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 you'll come for dinner. Like, you'll come for dinner. Doesn't matter if it's meant to be, like, the family dinner, you will come for dinner. Like, I love that attitude around Christmas, but Mrs. Weezy has it all year round of, like, you're in our house and you're a member of the family. Yeah, that's so funny because it's, like, the pure opposite of what my family do. We're, like, if we have to have extended family for Christmas all of us bitch about it and like none of us want it like even if it's like a the rare family member that we actually love we just like it being the four of us and like it adds so much more stress on my mum and stuff and like we just don't want it and it's not the same when there's anyone else there and we just like it being the four of us and we literally like fuck off and like because we're kind of at the point we've got like one more grandparent and so she kind of gets like tossed every year to like a different child and whenever it's like our year we're like oh for fuck's sake it's our year to have grandma and i know that's really horrible we are a horrible horrible family yeah and we're not a family that is by any means close to our extended family yeah like i i do love my grandma i think she's amazing i love my auntie that's it yeah um but you're used to it being the four of you yeah so it's just like whenever there's anyone else we're like for fuck's sake like we have the opposite of like a open open, Christmas yeah literally because even like last year like when I was with Connor and like we hadn't even been together that long anyway but like there was a bit when he was like potentially gonna have to like spend Christmas alone and I did have the thought I was like should I ask him for if if I could invite him and and I was like no because they will say yes and they will fucking hate me for it like they would have said yes but they would have been like how dare you like you know yeah i mean i'm especially glad i didn't now because he was a shithead definitely (laughs) yeah i don't know it's just something i've always adored that our door is always open if you're lonely come come to us i love that and i hope i like that's something i carry throughout my life like every party i'm always always like bring whoever you like like it's not set like it's yeah absolutely fine whoever you're comfortable with it's definitely the nicer way to be my family we're just not like (laughs) 
nice in that way. The thing is, I will when it's me hosting stuff, I'm always like, you know I am. Yeah. Like, you know, Pi Fest started with, I invited three people and it ended up like, like nine, nine or something. <laughs> and yeah, a girl I'd never even met before. I am like that when I host stuff. I'm literally like, I really don't care who's there. Just bring people. It's yeah. fine. Like, I'm not, you know, prissy about that. So I am. But like, I think Christmas is like the one thing for me that I'm like, no, it's me, my mum, dad, sister. Like, yeah. So yeah, Remus is coming for Christmas, but there is no Charlie and no Percy. No reason given why Charlie isn't there. He's just not coming. But just... Bill's there. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Why would she write in that he's not there? I like... suppose because, like, otherwise it'd be like, why? I mean, he's in a different country. It's difficult to get back. But it's then not, he's who's he spending Christmas with? Dragons! He's got to look after the dragons! They need <laughs> Christmas too! Yeah, sure. George is charming a muggle in the village um, with brilliant magic tricks. It's almost like it's real magic. That's so cute. <laughs> I mean, but also, you know, they're breaking the law. It's card tricks. <laughs> they're doing magic in front of a muggle. Yeah, well, when have they ever cared about the law? Yeah. Harry has learned so much in six and five and a half books and is telling all the adults about the conversation he overheard all of them he's telling everyone we love to see it from yeah. him he's like I'm going to tell everyone I'm going to tell Mr Weasley I'm going to tell Lupin I'm going to tell Dumbledore and Ron's like okay yeah, yeah you do that before that I want to call attention to the stupefied garden gnome that's on top of the tree as an angel in a little tutu because it's I love when she she didn't need to put that in there, funny. but just little whimsical, funny detail. Adore it with a little head like a potato. I love the fact that she specifically says that like no one else had realised. I'm like, like how, how would, you not? would you not? It's a gnome, not an angel. Yeah, like I suppose because their lounge is so busy and crazy yeah. that you're just like, don't notice shit like that. But love it, funny, whimsical. Didn't need to be in there, but yeah, like one of those like. Those details that I love in a fantasy book. 100%. Ron says people are going to think that Snape is pretending to help Draco to get info. And this is a theme for the next few chapters. And Harry's like, I know, I've already thought of that. That's what everyone's going to say. But Harry says, and this line, oh, this is one of the best lines in the book. No one's that good an actor, not even Snape. Dun, dun, dun. It's so good because Harry will then believe... Yeah, he's not that good an actor. He was telling the truth. And then in the next book, it's like, his acting was so good. It was three layers deep. Like, oh my God, this is good. Yeah. Brilliant character. I hate him. Hate him. So good. So good. I love it. I just... And the hints throughout this book about what's going to happen are just... I know we said it in the last chapter, but just fantastic. Hermione legged it at the Christmas party. So Harry didn't see her when he got back. McLagan was apparently annoyed and then he couldn't speak to her the next morning because they were all in a rush. Um, so he hasn't really spoken to her at all. And I think I get into this in the next chapter, but uh, Hermione is spending Christmas with her parents. Yay! Woo! I talk about a bit of it when we see her again in the next chapter and like her attitude's really changed and what might have happened. But this is the first Christmas she's spent with her parents since first year. Round of applause. Well done, <laughs> done Hermione. You're not being a shithead. Yeah, it took you until your heart got broken for you yep. to do this. Ginny has decorated the lounge in what is described as a paper chain explosion. And I love this from Ginny. Yeah. Um, I can see the lounge so clearly, like the low ceilings, the paper chains almost brushing the tops of their heads. Ron is like so tall, he's getting like caught on the paper chains every time yep. he comes in the room and just swearing about it. And we love a crafty bitch. We love, she's so crafty. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Like, 
Uh, I just love Ginny and the film Ginny was just... Oh, no, no. I've just remembered that Christmas in book six, mm. uh, in film six is mm-hmm. mince pie. And now I want to rip my eyes out. Yep. <sighs> mince pie. <laughs> Open up. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve. It's very cosy. Everyone is in the lounge. They're listening to the wireless. And Harry and Mr. Weasley are having a chat. And I thought it was really cool seeing how like grown up the conversation is. Like Harry... Mr. Weasley used to be, like, he's Ron's dad. And Harry still always refers to him as that. And he calls him Mr. Weasley. But they're now having, like, a very adult conversation, a grown-up conversation. Harry is a lot better at accepting adult help. Like, as I said, like, he's keen to tell lots of people about this. And he's kind of trusts Mr. Weasley like a father figure. Like, you can very clearly see he wants to talk to him. He wants his, like, reasoned response like you would want advice from a father. And it's so nice to see that from Harry. Yeah. And it's also that thing. You know when you have a crush on someone and you can't stop telling everyone? (laughs) I want to talk about Draco. I want to talk about Draco. I want to talk about Draco. Yep, that's what he's doing. Yep. Lupin joins in the conversation and insists that he trusts Snape because Dumbledore trusts Snape. And I think it must be so hard for Lupin watching Harry be so insistent that Snape is bad because it is exactly what Sirius would have done and it's only been six months since Sirius's death. And Lupin is clearly not okay and the end of the book tries to pass this off as because he was in love with Tonks the whole time. But he's clearly not okay about Sirius's death. And Harry embodies like a mixture of James and Sirius in his living form, and it is is so insistent that he's right about Snape, and this must be so hard for Lupin to sit through. Yeah, Lupin and Mister Weasley just firm agree that Snape is working for Dumbledore. He was trying to get information out of Draco on Dumbledore's orders, but at least now no one is denying that Draco is up to something. Like we've now finally halfway through the book got that sorted. Yes, finally. <sighs> Well, and, no, Hermione will well, turn around and be like, yeah, what if yeah, he's yeah. working for his father? But and we'll, I'm like, I'll throw something. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Fucking Hermione. Lupin then starts chatting about what he's been doing. He's been living with werewolves for this entire term as Dumbledore's spy. And I was kind of like questioning whether, although he seems bitter about it, it's almost a punishment for himself, I think. Like, I think he did readily accept this from Dumbledore not only because it was apparently something that needed to be done, but also because he is like consumed by guilt that Sirius came back and died Mm. whilst he lived again. Like, bear in mind, James was killed, Peter turns against him, and Sirius went to prison for years. He was used to being the only one left and the guilt that came with that. He finally got Sirius back and again he died. He must be consumed by guilt and is kind of self-sabotaging a bit by going underground with the werewolves is like well you know i will do the most horrible task i can because i deserve this because i think he thinks he's inherently a bad person yeah i it makes me so sad that we don't see more of lupin yeah and i think it's such a miss like he's such a fantastic character yeah not one i always like Mm. like at times i love him Mm. at times i'm like "Mm." Mm. but a brilliant character yeah such a good character we just feels like such a miss and i don't know you know you will never really know but i do wonder about how much of his character was cut because of the jk he was gay yeah yeah, hated the uh shipping um (sighs) yeah like would she have put him in him mourning serious more if 
it wasn't for the, the shipping. Yeah, he's really not in this book much at all, which is such yeah. a shame. Yeah, it's such a good character and it just is so much missed opportunity, like yeah. missed potential. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, I'm interpreting it as that's one of the reasons he goes into, like, the werewolf camp, but we don't really have enough information no. for that to be proved either way. There's also this line that he seems bitter at Dumbledore. And I think this is one of the only instances in this book, particularly, we get, obviously, a lot in the next one, where we see that Dumbledore does push people too far. Like, this was a thing that came up in the last book. Harry said to Dumbledore, you pushed Sirius too far. You made him feel trapped inside that house as if he was back in Azkaban. And then Lupin feels bitter about being with the werewolves and Dumbledore does do this and again this whole book series brings up this question of how much of it is right for the greater good what is the correct amount for the greater good and it's like the amount of lives Dumbledore doesn't ruin them Voldemort ruins them but Dumbledore asks people again and again and again to give up their whole life their whole sense of freedom their whole sense of self Mm. to defeat Voldemort and it's all blind trust with Dumbledore yeah I can't add anything more to that, to be honest. Well said. Lupin then mentions that the werewolves he's with are part of, like, Greyback's clan. And Harry's like, who's Greyback? And I can believe we're only asking who's Greyback halfway through Half-Blood Prince. Yes. I was like, are you kidding me? This hasn't come up before. I know. I, I thought it was s- book five. I was absolutely convinced. I had the same thing. Like, Greyback to me is, like, one of those things... Like, she, he's like Bellatrix. Yeah, you feel like he's always been there. Yeah. Because he's so, like... Evil. I don't want want to say, like, iconic, but, like... He's a really good villain. Yeah. He's a great villain. Yeah, again, wish we'd gotten more of him. Yeah. But, yeah, I was like, wait, this is, to my memory, our first mention of him, which is wild. Well, we then learn later through Hermione that we've had one mention of him by Draco at the beginning of the book. Yeah, but you know, that's still this book. Yeah, but But, that's wild to me. Like, really wild. Yeah, I think if, I mean, obviously I don't want it now because of JK Rowling, but like if I could have any like spin-off book, I would want it to be about like Lupin, Mm. I think. And like dive more into Fenya because I just think it it would be neat. I know everyone wants like Marauders stuff. Like maybe you could kind of do both. I mean, that's one. what all the young dudes is. I've got the books if you want to read them. Goes a lot into Fenya. Yes, potentially. Because I, yeah, I, I think I've been really reading Throne of Glass and I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I say as I'm on book three. Because <laughs> um, I did the thing where everyone was like, the first one's bad. So you just had to get to the second. And then I read the second and I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I was like, unless it gets better by the end, I'm not going to read the third. And then like the last literally like 15% of the book, because I've got a Kindle, does percentages. It got really, really good. So then I was like, okay, I will read the third. Now I'm reading the third and I'm like, got bad again. Anyway, so pretty sure I'm going to give up with that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so then I'll probably say to you, what should I read next? So you can give me all the young dudes or anything else that you think that I should read. There's many things I think you should read. I know there is. But yeah, that goes into, obviously it's not by J.K. Rowling, so it's not canon, but... No, but it's still... Satisfying. it's better in and, that way because now things created by fans are a lot more ooh. satisfying than stuff written oh, by jkr absolutely we learn through lupin that greyback specializes in biting children so that he can be raised as werewolves it's so separated up. from society it's so messed up and i love it it's so disgusting yes it i'm so torn because on the one hand i'm like it's such a good 
villain it's fucked up i love it on the other hand i'm like when you read it through the lens of the many H- people theorizing about the it being HIV. like hiv it's really horrifying it becomes really nasty really nasty because it's like it kind of you know and god knows whether it was intentional or not but it kind of plays into that thing about like gay men are, are all, all pedophiles yeah, yeah all like pedophiles or like all like diseased and you know blah 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 and yeah i had that thought uh, as well i'm like i love it from how evil it is but yeah there is the big interpretation from book three that where being a werewolf is a metaphor for hiv and obviously there is so much stigma around there's so much like discussing stuff about like from the 80s about not just hiv but gay men like having pedophilic tendencies because people like are disgusting and that was just a thing that was yeah so it it ties into that in a really horrible way but if you don't take it with that metaphor i think it's just one of the best like villainous most awful things and it's the right level of creepy to come in in this book that has got a lot more mature as we've gone along because it's just it's it's so inherently evil and has such like disgusting like undertones to it yeah i think it's trying to think how to phrase this because i don't want to come across like i'm not i'm not defending jk rowling at all because i do think that this is the kind of thing that you need to think about the implications of your writing more but i think it's quite interesting in general with the fantasy genre obviously it's like a very very like you know 99.9 percent of fantasy writers will take from mythology folklore fairy tales and it's quite interesting because then you kind of inherit the problematic origins yeah. of those things because like so i was literally yesterday i was listening to a folklore podcast um that was talking about i can't even remember like what it specifically was about but mm. it was talking about like various like i guess like you know f- folklore like monsters and stuff like that yeah and how oh it was about vampires i think and like the origins of that and nice. uh, talking about how throughout all kinds of folklore when you have things like you know vampires and fairies and trolls and whatever it is Mm. so much of that actually is rooted in a very eurocentric way of thinking about when you know white people were then traveling the world and discovering different countries and continents for the the, first time it's the othering of people that look different from you yeah exactly and how you know they would for instance you know there's theories that they would see people doing yoga with their heads down and then go, you know, back home and be like, I saw these headless people because <laughs> they were doing yoga, like things like that. And that's that's obviously only people theorising about why. Mm. But there's so many things like that where people, literally white people would go be discovering, sailing the world and discovering things and then coming home with like these stories of otherness because it was like this Eurocentric way of thinking that. But all of those things then go into like the current you know, things that we have uh, that are passed down through folklore. So so many authors borrow these ideas and and it's something that I love because Mm. I love when you're like, oh yeah, that's taken from this fairy tale and this and the history behind it. I I think it's fascinating and I think it's something that makes a lot of fantasy really good when, and you know, it's something that JK does so much, like most of the magical creatures and stuff are pre-existing. And it's not just her that does it, everyone does it. But it's quite interesting when it's like, how do you tackle that? Because Mm. when you do that, you're inheriting those prejudices that are built into those original folktales, which like, 
and it's almost like you can't necessarily with some you can some you can't you can't necessarily blame the people who did have inherent prejudices when they were coming up with these like mystical magical things because now we have a worldwide understanding of the world like even if you are a prejudiced person you have access to information from around the world back then you only had the information that was available to you so of course things that are other are going to seem mystical and terrifying and things like that because the access to information was so wildly different so it's not like necessarily evil prejudices built into that some of it was and there was obviously like many atrocious terrible acts done but some of it was just genuine like whoa that's different yeah but yeah it's like yeah how do you then tackle that when you're putting that all thousands of years through history into your modern text yeah it's like they had a similar thing with maps as well Mm. because like obviously back in the day it's you didn't have gps or like satellites so all you the map makers would literally create maps by talking to sailors and adventurers and being like what did you see where was this blah 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 and there were so many times when like they would just make shit up oh yeah or they would think that they'd seen like land there and it actually wasn't land or yeah. something or there was even like one map maker whose wife said to him will you like put an island in for me and he just made up an island but then you know people would then copy the maps yeah. and blah 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 there was even a really common thing that people would add like islands and stuff that didn't exist as a way of copywriting it because then they that still happens in modern map making really yeah i'll send you an episode of map men i'll put it in the description that still happens in modern map making because even though gps exists it is a lot quicker to copy existing maps so all maps have traps yeah because even our our maps aren't accurate but yeah so all that kind of thing and that's where like a lot of the mythology and folklore around you know oh this place that like disappeared and you know Mm. the classic thing it's under the sea now and stuff like that a lot of it was just mistakes and you know rumors and people lying people putting shit in for their wife or as like a way of copyright protection and it's like it's fascinating but it's like bizarre that those things literally you know one guy being like oh yeah i'm gonna put this island here for my wife and then that can spawn like yeah. mythology and folklore behind it it's, it's fucking fascinating but yeah. yeah so it's like you know how much is jk responsible for some of the like i guess like themes and meaning behind werewolves but then also like you do have a responsibility when you're taking those themes and putting them into modern text yeah that you're not i guess like um oh god what's the word that i'm going for you're not essentially like adding to and yeah. encouraging negative, negative stereotypes. stereotypes yeah yeah that makes sense I would like to look up when, maybe using like archive Google search, when the discussion around the werewolves being a metaphor for HIV started happening. Because if it was before this book, which I highly imagine it was, then there is that slight, should she have put Grey back in, when there was already the parallels being drawn between HIV and werewolfism. I also think she was, you know, she was writing this in the late 90s like early noughties the sixth one early noughties yeah but like werewolves were in it from book three oh yeah so that's late 90s yeah Yeah, which is a lot closer to you know the 80s when a lot of this stuff was like an even bigger topic of conversation than it was today like i I, you know i think that it's something that you absolutely should be aware of today but even more so in the 90s. Yeah, you, you you wouldn't have not been able to have been aware of it. It was such a yeah. massive topic. Yeah, that negative comparison and greyback only stands if you 
believe that the werewolves are a metaphor for HIV. If if we take that out of it, Greyback is a fantastically written villain mm-hmm. with like an actual origin story or motive behind his actions that has a very clear, well-reasoned meaning. He believes that werewolves should be allowed to do what is in their nature. That wizard saying you can't bite people, you can't turn people is wizarding law and werewolves are a species unto themselves and therefore if that's in their nature that should be allowed. That's a really interesting argument that he's going for and then him choosing to follow through with that in his own way of being like I'm going to not just bite children, people that annoy me, I'm going to wait until the full moon and then bite their children is so evil. It's so twisted but it's like I mean, it's a better reason than Voldemort has for being a villain a lot of the time at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. There's actually, like, a Buffy episode that's really heartbreaking that deals with this as well, like, werewolf characters and, like, one character being like, I obviously don't want to harm anyone. Like, I'm going to keep myself locked up. And another one being like, it's in our nature. Like, it's fine, whatever. And it's, like, a really heartbreaking episode. But, yeah, very good. And, like, clearly, like, kind of a common theme when writing about werewolves. Yeah, which I think makes sense because that there is that inherent thing with any time you write about werewolves of they did not choose to become this. That was against their will. But when they turn, they don't have that free will anymore. So can you blame them for their actions? It's like a very good moral question baked into the mythology of werewolves. Yeah. So Voldemort is using Greyback as a threat. Just lovely. Mm-hmm. I'll say, and Lupin's like, do you know what? It works. I'm like, yeah, it would work. Like if, if yeah. Voldemort is trying to threaten you with something and, and he's like, I will get Greyback to bite your children. I think he'll do whatever he fucking says, won't you? Yes. But Greyback bit Lupin. So we get a bit of Lupin's origin story because Lupin's father pissed off Greyback. We don't know how. That's not in the book. But Lupin spent years feeling sorry for the werewolf that bit him, thinking it was accidental and only found out in later life that it was an intentional turning. And now he's working within Greyback's people. It's just horrible for him. Poor Lupin. I know. No wonder he... I mean, I hate the whole Tonks thing, but no wonder he is so fucked up about it when this is what he's dealing with at the same time. Exactly. Like... What happens in book seven, and we'll talk about it so much, is horrific, but his motivation, his reasoning behind it is kind of clear when you're reading this yeah. chapter. So Harry then asks about the Half-Blood Prince. He's basically like, were you it? Was dad it? Was serious? Sorry, can we also address very little problem? <laughs> <laughs> you could not go around a high school nowadays referencing someone's very little problem. You could not. The thing is, it's such a parallel to the way women talk about periods in school that it's hilarious. Yeah. At least they weren't doing it because it's a monthly thing like your time of the month. <laughs> so yeah, Harry's like, Half-Blood Prince, is it you? Is it Was it dad? Was it serious? And Lupin cheers up because Harry is talking about the past and he talks about Levy Corpus and Lupin's like, oh, that went through such a vogue in my time, which we've talked about. We love that spells go through vogues. Yeah. And then he ha- and then Lupin's kind of like, well, it wasn't any of us. Like, that spell was just popular. Have you checked the publishing date of the book? And Harry's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Harry. Harry, hun. Uh, also, I- it turns out it's 50 years old. Have potion recipes not changed in 50 years? Have they not added new ones to the syllabus in 50 years? 
bad education system. Yeah, I mean, maybe they have, and maybe they shouldn't be handing that book out still, but I guess he didn't expect him to keep it. No, I guess um, not. I love when Harry first brings up the Half-Blood Prince, Lumen is like, is this the title you're thinking of adopting? <laughs> Lupin's like, please don't do that, you egotistical little prick. <laughs> like anyone trying to get themselves a nickname. Hilarious. Do you think the Half Blood Prince suits me? <laughs> it's the chosen one, not enough. Like, <laughs> and Harry's like, no. <laughs> I have a question, and I'm not sure if I'm like just misremembering, like missing something. I don't know. Why does Harry assume that the Half Blood Prince has invented the spells in his? Book. Just because he can see the workings out. So it might not Is that said? Yeah, it, it wasn't said specifically with Leather Corpus, but when he's first looking through the book, he can see spells written and he can see above that, like the spell written in a different way, crossed out. The spell written in a different way, crossed out. Written in a different way, crossed out. So Harry's like, he's inventing them. He's trying different things and seeing if it works. Once again, this raises so many questions about how spells are invented well yes i'd love that to what, be explored what, would you just do you just stand there going <laughs> i can't think of any other like um levy ho <laughs> levy po levy what like until it something happens like do you open like a latin thing and the fact that they don't have latin lessons in this school is wild to i me. just it it can't just be guessing spells there no, has no, to no. be there's definitely there is definitely we know that there's stuff in the latin and therefore they should be having latin lessons and i think there's also things in the wand movements we never learn like oh this one movement does that but it's but like then like... how those two come together is how i always imagine it but then it is just working out combinations and that seems like nonsense what like, is anything because then just working where, it out science where, is just testing but, things over and over again yeah, but when do, where do the spells come from why is there random fucking spells like to make your teeth longer like people just, just worked it out they looked up the latin word for tooth and the latin word for grow and tried stuff until it happened but i just and then it got written down i kind of like it it's kind of how inventing and society works actually i just think there should be more to it i think it should be explained better in the books a hundred percent yeah but i like it actually it's christmas day and ron is opening his presents and the one from lavender is if i had more time i would have found this for you and got it for you a gold chain that said my sweetheart and i'm imagining it full on because this is the 90s like full on 90s streetwear thick gold chain like what rappers used to wear in the 90s but with the words my sweetheart not bejeweled but you know like rappers wearing thick gold chains in the 90s that but with my sweetheart i picture it like those necklaces you know like name necklaces and you could like pick the font yeah i picture one of those what we didn't talk about sorry before this was fleur being a bitch I'm sorry. Oh, with Christina Warbeck. Yeah, with the music, I'm just like, you know, we are Fleur, normally Fleur's biggest defenders. Yeah, I'm not defending her for this. She's being no, a bitch it's so about rude. it. I just can't imagine. Imagine going to your in-laws' house, them hosting you for Christmas, and you're being like publicly rude about the music. It's so, it's so disrespectful. You are being hosted at someone else's family for Christmas. Yeah. It's, it's... no, I just, I will defend her on everything aside from that. And I will yeah. say then kind of in a little bit in this like pretty much where we are 
Mrs. Weasley not making her a jumper is... That's a horrible thing to do. Vile. Everyone else would be wearing them. And no, she wouldn't have put it on, but, like, so rude. That must have really hurt her. Yeah, like, could you imagine? Like, oh, horrid. Horrid. So Harry and Ron are having a little conversation about the necklace, because Ron is like, if you tell the twins, I'll kill you. And Ron says, him and Lav don't talk much. They mostly snog, which... My favourite thing about this is it immediately leads him to ask, is Hermione really going out with McLaggen? And even though Ron is being a piece of shit and will continue to be a piece of shit for months, I love that his thought process is, me and Lavender don't talk. What's Hermione doing? And this shows like why Ron and Hermione like, do like each other, but it keeps not working is he wants someone he can talk with. That's what Mm. he's not able and mature enough to express at the moment. He wants someone he can have a conversation with. Yeah. I also find it funny because like, not in this, not in, not because we were snogging, but like, I also had those air quote boyfriends when you were like, I mean, I literally, I was in like year eight. Yeah. I was like 12 or 13. That like you didn't, we would go home every night and talk on MSN nonstop. And then we'd like meet up at lunch and literally just stand there in silence. Like just terrified of each other. Literally would not say one word. Would just like giggle to my friends and then get home and just be talking on MSN. Like would not actually ever say a word to each other. Like... (laughs) So I'm like, this feels like that only. It's because they're making out. They're making out all the time, yeah. Ron is also a cad because he's basically saying to Harry, yeah, I fancy Hermione, but continues with Lavender because he just has someone to snog. Yeah, it's it's not great. (laughs) And he doesn't even break up with her when he does. She breaks up with him. I really... When I was a teenager, I treated people like absolute shit romantically. So I really can't say shit. I absolutely... Yeah, the thing I is, pretty much did this. He's 16. Like, he is... He is 16. And, and I do understand kind of what he wants. Like, he knows he wants Hermione. He thinks his self-esteem is low, so low. He's like, I don't have a chance with her. So why would I break up with Lavender? Yeah. Uh, Ron. But yeah, yeah, he wants someone he can talk to who is his equal. I mean, <laughs> would we call them equals? <laughs> Terms of fighting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, they love a fight. That's. They're weird. Yeah. Um, Creature gives Harry maggots. This okay. is so funny. G- goals from Creature. Well done. Because Harry is such a shit master. He says, Do people typically give their house elves Christmas presents? Harry, you don't pay him a wage. Even horrible, like even in the Victorian, Edwardian and all of those times when people, upper class people used to have servants, they used to give them Christmas presents. Like that is a very typical thing to do to people in your employment because you employ them. You fucking moron. And Ron's like, yeah, that's something Hermione would do. What are you talking about? They probably didn't give their slaves presents, though. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, house elves are slaves. So. Yeah. Yikes. Harry, I think he just forgets that Creature exists, honestly. I had forgotten Creature existed. This yeah. came up and I was like, sorry, who? What? What? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, oh, dear. One of the rejected but potential names for my parents' new kittens was Winky. I think she would have been a good winky, That's but so I like Freddie. I like Freddie. Uh, yeah, I wrote no jumper for flirt, sad face. Although the book doesn't say jumper, it says sweater. Annoying, very annoying. Yeah, 
because I know in the early books they had to change all the words jumper to the word sweater. Yeah. That doesn't mean in your English copy you can write the word sweater. It's not a word. Hannah's triggered. Mrs. Weasley has a new expensive hat and necklace from the twins. Cute. I love it. I love that they're treating her now they have money. And they play it off like, oh, we value you now we're washing our own socks. But it's just nice. It's very nice of them. Ginny picks a maggot out of Harry's hair. That's sexy. I don't understand how, without any context, you could see a man with a maggot (laughs) in his hair and think, yeah. It's because Ginny's so cool. She's not bothered by maggots. I'm assuming. It's not to me. It's not the maggot. It's not about the actual maggot. It's not about the maggot. It's about why do you have a maggot in your hair? I'm assuming by how collected Ginny was over it, Harry has come downstairs and gone, lol, you'll never guess what creature sent me some maggots. But it's not in the text. It's not in the text. Which means that they're just, imagine you're sat at a table with the guy that you like and you notice he just has a maggot in his hair. The things that you would assume about his lifestyle, his hygiene, his choice of pets. No, absolutely no. That's a, that's not a red flag. That's a deal breaker. I like, really hope he told the story of maggots. I I fucking hope so. Because But like, also the wizarding world is weird and the burrow's really weird, so maybe you didn't need to. Maybe the burrow is just full of maggots anyway. Oh! Um, Tonks gets brought up and Harry is so far down the wrong end of the stick with what's going on that he puts his foot in it to the point where it's painful. So he assumes that Mrs. Weasley is angry because Bill didn't end up getting with Tonks. And he, yeah, but she like glares at Lupin and he's like, oh, well, she shouldn't be blaming Lupin. It's like, Harry! Harry! I mean, I don't blame him because it comes out of fucking nowhere. But like, Harry. So then Harry is like, well, I'll make the situation better. Hey, Lupin, Tonks' Patronus has changed. Harry. Can you imagine Mr. Weezy at one end of the table and Mrs. Weezy at the other end like, no, 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 make it stop, make it stop. And Harry's like, it's something really big. And Harry, <laughs> do you know why it would change? But he's also, he's seen a werewolf. I like that Harry is just like, you know, when kids have those games where you have to like put the shape in the right shape hole or like match up the like animals to their noises. Harry would fail those. Harry's like, yeah, I've seen a werewolf. (laughs) Oh, what's that? It's a really big animal. Is that an elephant? No, it's not hard. Know your animals. Just, I can't imagine how horrible Lupin must be feeling in this moment. <laughs> I like to think that if you ever met Harry and did a Patronus in front of him and it You're was like, a giraffe, he'd be like, what animal is that? Is that a zebra? You're like, it's got a massive neck. <laughs> oh, oh, Harry. Harry is a dumbass. Luckily, this conversation doesn't get any further because Percy's here. Well. Oh. With the Minister for Magic. I totally forgot that this was this chapter before reading it. And I was like, fucking Percy. Ah! (laughs) Chris Rankin, how could you do this to us? 
How was this scene not on the film we show? It would have been got, brilliant. We should have asked Chris on this chapter. I know. I got really annoyed because this is our only Percy chapter in this book. The only one. And we should have at least, if we couldn't get, if Chris didn't have the time to come on, asked him to send us a voice note about this. Like, I was so annoyed that we didn't realise before. Oh. Um, Mrs. Weasley rushes up to greet him, but the rest of the family is like very angry including Mr. Weasley and just not getting up and it is very clear that this was not Percy's idea the the way that they had to do a pre- pre- pretense for this that is so unnecessary because no one believes it I'm like you just shouldn't have done this this is an awful like well it's because to get through the wards they needed Percy right like it, it, the premise the Minister of Magic couldn't just scroll stroll up to the burrow and he needed an excuse more than anything. No one believes the excuse. No, but like, you know. Well, Mrs. Weasley does bless which her little is heart. Fucking tragic. I and don't I, think she does. I think she wants to so much she's forcing herself to. Yeah, but that's that's why it's tragic and no, it no. just makes me so angry at Percy. I know, the fact that he would stoop this low. Yeah. Knowing he's interrupting the family dinner. Scrimger is like, ha, this young man can take me around the garden. It's Harry Potter. He's the most famous person in the, in the wizarding world. <laughs> this random chap with the weird scar. What's your name, boy? I'm going to ask the one non-ginger person at the table <laughs> to take me around the garden of the house that clearly belongs to the ginger people. <laughs> the ginger what? People. Oh, you're Harry Potter? I've never heard of you. <laughs> Scrimgeon, get some acting lessons. Seriously, this is awful. Oh my God, it's so funny. It's so funny. And Harry's like, yeah, lol, saw this coming. Lupin and Mr. Weasley stand up from the table if they need to protect him. And Harry goes, I'm okay. I'm okay. I love it. I, love I, it. I fucking, the character develop of Harry, wet flannel, dumbass, inobservant never got a fucking clue what's happening the fucking character development to the point where i'm almost like the next few like the next scene almost feels out of character because i think i think everything with um- umbridge changed him yes. deeply yeah i do, i do but it's like you know we're finally getting actual character development out of harry and it just keeps coming across a little bit jarring because i'm like who you're, is this you're you're confiding in adults you're standing up to authority i know but like oh it it's he's so fucking good we'll go into it but like it's so fucking good but to the point where i'm like who who is who this is like uh, Harry standing up against government figures like oh well done so Surum just says he'd been wanting to talk to Harry for ages Harry is silent very wise very wise Scrimger carries on presses him for information and is is just basically trying to ask him like about Dumbledore about where Dumbledore goes about what's happening and Harry stays silent he's not even subtle no not at all which I kind of appreciate Scrimger is not an evil character, and we'll get into this as we go through. Scrimger is a good person. I would appreciate him being upfront about it if he was actually upfront about yeah, it. Yeah, he's kind if of he was like, Harry, space. I need to talk to you. Yeah. Harry, I've got some questions for you. But no, he's just kind of like, so, uh, what's Dumbledore been up to lately? This is a casual <laughs> conversation with the Minister of Magic. So I really like wanted to pick apart this moment because... It really stuck out to me. Scrimger is asking questions. Harry's not answering. Scrimger's asking questions. Harry's not answering. Harry's being really nice, which I like. It's the good old dealing with the difficult customer and retail approach. By being very polite. Very nice. So Scrimger up really presses him. And Harry doesn't look in and observes the spot where Fred caught the gnome, noting the ground being scuffed. 
And then, so he says, the way it's like structured this paragraph, Harry thinks, I don't know how to answer. Oh, that's where Fred caught that gnome and the ground is all scuffed. I'm going to decide to tell the truth. And I was like, okay, why is this put in? Like, why is this moment about like observing that spot on the ground where Fred caught the gnome? And I think it's just the mundanity of it. Like he's deciding how is best to answer these questions. And I think by like J.K. Rowling choosing to pull out this moment of the gnome being caught, Harry is realising what I answer doesn't just affect me. This isn't about just me anymore and this totally mundane silly happy thing of fred catching this gnome and then hiding it from the rest of the weasleys makes him think my answers don't just affect me i can't just get angry like i did with umbridge Mm. i now affect the rest of the wizarding world and like i just really like the way that that little mundane moment is used to make him decide to tell the truth yeah um and also because he's telling the truth because he finally is trusting the Weasleys enough to constantly then tell them the truth. And all that's brought him is more love and more affection and more of what he's been looking for. So mm-hmm. he decides, like, the truth is the best path to go down. Yeah. Oh, and then we get to one of my favourite bits in all the books. And I was having a laugh about it with Neil because I was like, do you know what you can't have? A fantasy book that doesn't go into war propaganda. It's just got to happen at some point. We've got to have the war propaganda. Can you, can you say Fantastic Beasts? <laughs> that went too far with the yes. war propaganda. But, like... Uh, uh, the Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, any like big fantasy book or small fantasy book goes into war propaganda at some point. Yeah. So Scrim just says, do you know what? doesn't matter if you're the chosen one. You could be the chosen one, you could not be the chosen one. But the perception that you are the chosen one is what's important. You are the symbol of hope for people to rally around. Which I just love because this comes up again and again in fantasy books of there being a symbol for people to rally around. And all of this is based on like real war propaganda, which I was discussing with Neil, like how long has war propaganda existed? I think it has existed in every war, but most of what we read about in modern fantasy books is based off of war propaganda used in World War Two because mm. that is when it, be- it exploded because we had invented the printing press. And it's weird, like, our inventions caused that explosion in propaganda in World War II that caused so many people to sign up. Like, that is the reason World War II was the way it was, because of the way, like, young men in particular were all persuaded to to sign up and sign up willingly and happily and gleefully. Mm. I'm going to make a reference to something that we surprisingly... barely ever reference marvel oh yes it's like in captain america it's like essentially if harry had said yes here it would then be like that montage of captain america in the first film when Mm. he's like having to do dances and he punches james payton as hitler and like all of that stuff and it's like that's what they wanted harry to be they wanted him to do like a song and a dance and not really actually be doing anything but just be like the face which is like he's a teenage boy like yeah i guess you can see why when it's like a wizarding world where you have this like dark evil wizard that like was allegedly killed once but then wasn't actually killed and you can see how it'd be like oh shit like is he defeatable so you need some like prophesized child to give you that hope that oh no but there's he's the chosen one there's a prophecy that he's going to defeat him like you can see how people need that but also 
well done Harry for saying no well done Harry for saying no but also I love this scene because Scrimger is not the enemy Scrimger is not a bad man he is not a bad person at the end of the day he wants the exact same things as Harry he is trying to save the wizarding world but he is willing to sacrifice a lot more for the greater good to do this and it comes back again to what you will sacrifice to the greater good Mm. Scrimger is willing to do this to a 17 year old because he thinks the cost is worth it. Scrimger is a good person. And Harry is also an incredibly good and moral person, but views things a lot more on the individual level because the reasons he gives for saying no is because you still embody Umbridge and you have Stan Shumpike locked up who is clearly not a Death Eater. And I love that constantly throughout the books, Harry's motivation often comes down to an individual level and that's what makes him the most like morally good character in the series. He looks at the individual, he cares about each and every person that may die. But at the end of the day, he is only able to succeed because of men like Scrimger and Dumbledore who don't do that, who don't care about the individual person and who have to step back and look at the wider picture. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say, really. Like, you know, Scrimger wants Harry's role in this to be... A superficial one. Yeah, for show. He doesn't actually want to put him on the front line. He wants to utilise him as a PR piece yep. to, you know, give the government, I guess, that bandwidth to be able to actually stand against Voldemort. Yep. Meanwhile, Dumbledore wants to put Harry on the front line. He wants him to die for the cause. Yep. He wants to drag his two other like underage friends into this. Yep. Really? Which one of them's worse? This is exactly what I pointed out when, and I loved this. So they then have a conversation where Harry says, you don't care whether I live or die. That's the price Scrimger is willing to give. Like, the ruining the purity of Harry's soul is worth it to him to be able mm. to win. He shows him, I must not tell lies, scars onto his hand. And Scrimger bluntly asks Harry what Dumbledore is doing. Harry says, he doesn't know, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. And Scrimger says you're Dumbledore's man through and through and this is where like the parallels between Dumbledore and Scrimger are so brought to the forefront because Harry is angry at Scrimger for everything he's willing to do everything he's willing to sacrifice to defeat Voldemort he's willing to make Harry out to seem look like the ministry is really good when it's doing bad things but Dumbledore is doing the exact same thing he is manipulating people not telling them the information he needs he's manipulated Harry into telling Ron Hermione everything which will probably put them in such terrible harm's way he knows Harry could die he knows loads of other people could die and it's just that he won Harry over first rather than the ministry Dumbledore and Scrimger are the same level of good willing to sacrifice a lot Dumbledore Mm. just got to Harry first yeah it's morally grey characters that I love but yeah because you know at the end of the day Harry is a child Mm -hmm lacking a parental figure Mm. desperate for a parental figure and Dumbledore has gotten in there early and manipulated him withheld information and I mean sadly it doesn't it's not anything that Harry ever comes to some kind of realisation about because I don't know JK just shat the bed with so many of these themes I mean he did halfway through book seven the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore made him lose all his faith in Dumbledore and then at the end of the book as far as I can remember for some reason he decides he does have to blindly trust him because he has no other choice 
Yeah, and then but, he names his child exactly. after. But that's him. what I'm referring to. He never seems to have some big moment of like absolute realization. He kind yeah. of slightly gets there, and then it pulls back. It's it's J.K. does it with so many things where it's like you were so close, you were so close, Joe. so close. Like oh, the house elves and the Draco and the yeah, all of it. She just it. shits the bed with it, but. Yeah, Harry never really has this moment, but it would have been so, you know, it's one of the things that would actually have made the epilogue interesting if Harry had, you know, thought back on this moment, knowing what he now knows about actually they were doing the exact same thing. I just didn't see that Dumbledore was manipulating me. Yeah. I also, I called out the lines, you might consider it a duty to stand alongside the ministry and some would say it's your duty to be used by the ministry. To which Harry, fucking savagely, uh, retorts, some would say it's your duty to check if people are Death Eaters before throwing them in a Azkaban. Yes, pop off, Harry. But, like, it's... Oh, it's so... It's it's sick of Scrimgeour. It's like, this is a child who has lost his parents when he was a baby, who has been raised in an abusive household because of that, who has, year after year, been attacked by Voldemort or his people... He does not owe you shit. No. He doesn't owe anyone shit. He Has he not given enough? Why is it his duty? Fuck off. He is a child. But in many ways, Dumbledore also trauma. says it's his... It, Dumbledore also makes it his duty. But like Dumbledore... Like, I, I agree. But Dumbledore is never as blatant because I think he's more intelligent than Scrimgeour. Yeah. But he would never actually outright say, it, it is, is your, your duty. duty. He manipulates Harry into coming t- to that conclusion by himself, himself. Because he is a better manipulated than Scrimgeour. Yeah. But this bit just makes me angry. It's like, no, you don't... Harry doesn't owe anyone anything. No, especially after what you've put him through. But even with all of that, I cannot hate Scrimgeour. I can't. Because at the end of the day, he dies rather than gives up Harry's location. And all he wants is to save the Wizarding World. That is his only aim. He has the same aim and goal as Harry and Dumbledore and I think something that's done really well in these later books is showing all the different angles you can come from wanting the same end yeah Uh, and it's that constant question that I think all fantasy basically boils down to of like how far would you go and it actually now I can finally make references that you want me to make it reminded me of the end of the last Akatar book please skip if you haven't read the first one how I I really like that last scene at the end of the first Akatar book of Feyre's willingness to kill two people. And by willingness, obviously, she didn't want to do it. But I loved it because I knew that Harry wouldn't be able to do it. Mm. Harry Potter could never have done that. Because yeah. Harry, throughout the books, we learn, has like the truest soul. But he is only able to have that because everyone else around him makes, in a lot of ways, bigger sacrifices than him. Yeah. But Feyre makes the ultimate sacrifice of ruining her own soul and taking two people's lives in order to save humanity and i love in all fantasy just that question of how far you will go yes because there's no right answer yeah and i yeah i love that bit because i read it and i guess probably because i'm so used to spending so much time reading harry potter i was reading it and i was getting so angry because i was like she's not gonna do it she's not gonna do it that pisses me off so much because yeah it's a horrible thing but it's going to save more lives. Yeah. Really. It's a horrible, great, a good thing. And I was just like, it's going to be so much bullshit if she doesn't do it. And then she started to do it. And I was like, this is fucking horrific. Yeah, I was like, actually like, she's not going to do it. She, oh, my, oh God! my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. Loved that bit. Really brilliant. You know, she could have, you know, 
figured out the ridiculously easy riddle. Well, that was the other thing. I was like, it's love! It's love! Yes, just say the word love! It, it's so obvious. I'm not a good riddle person. And the moment that riddle is put I was in like, there, love. I was like, it's love. No, it's love. The answer's love. Feyre, please. It's love. Please like, don't be a fucking idiot! <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, it would have been more impactful if that riddle wasn't so damn easy. But, um... Exactly. Yeah. My... I I love that all fantasy books deal with this. I love the morally grey character of Scrimger. Yeah. I wish we had actually more time with him based on this chapter. I wish he'd been cast better. <laughs> yeah. Bill Nye, he's got to be in every British film. It's a requirement of our land. I don't mind when he's actually just being Bill Nye. Like, he's fine in Love Actually because that's what he's playing. But in this, it's like, no, that's a, that's a serious role. Yeah, please stop. And that's the end of the chapter. Harry storms off, is a sassy queen, and off he goes. Beautiful chapter. I love this got chapter. Got a bit of Christmas. Got a bit of wholesomeness. Got a got bit a of bit Fred's of butter. Foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, got some buttocks in there. Got some jokes in there. Got some actual, like, you know, really good dramatic chapter. plot. Some heartbreaking persiness. Do you know what we're realising? It's a fucking good book. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck JK Rowling, but it's a good book. It's a fucking good book. But I feel like book five, a lot of the chapters we got to the end of, we were like, it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. In this one, I feel like we finish every chapter like, what a good chapter. Yeah. Well done. Agree. Book five is a, a slog. It's just a bit, it's got highs and lows as book five. Book six is really consistent. Yes. Really Agree. good, consistent book. Well, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Cheerio. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what? Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Zach, Yolanda, Thomas, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Phoenix, Patrick, Nick, Layla, Catherine... Jasmine, Ash, and Emily. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.